0: So we are in the book of Philippians, and if this is your first week with us, you're actually catching the very last sermon of the book of Philippians. So congratulations, you've got the whole thing here at the very end. Uh, I'm going to just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the entire book of Philippians. So everybody catches up with us. We're starting in 1-1. We're going to go all the way through four I'm not really going to do that. But we are going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23 together. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Philippians chapter 4 starting at verse 10 through 23, and we're going to read it together. Let's all stand and, and read this together. We stand just to honor the reading of the word, since this is God speaking to us as we, as we read together. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and forever be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are all with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at this last section here in Philippians, God, that you would um, illuminate the scriptures for us by the power of the spirit and that you would um, teach us and not just as we are taught, but be... Um, but also convict us of the places that maybe we're not finding ourselves generous. But Lord, as you do that, comfort us as well and, and lead us into a place of repentance where that's needed. But Lord, more than anything, I pray that we walk out of here um, generous people, not just as an in and of itself, but because you have been kind and generous to us in Christ and the gospel, that our right response, our right mode or act of worship would be a thankful heart because of that, and that we would find ourselves far more generous than we are, because you have been generous to us in Christ. Lord, we we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, um, as I said last week, uh, all of chapter four kind of falls under the summation verse, which is which is chapter four, verse one. So let's look at verse one, and I want to put it into some context for us all so we can understand this entire chapter four. If you can read verse one, it says, therefore, my beloved, whom I love, I long for my joy and my crown. And then he says this little phrase right here in chapter four, verse one, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he's exhorting those or encouraging those who are Christians to stand firm. He wants them to make sure that the walk that they have in Christ is going to be lived out. And Really, the rest of chapter 4 is about that walking out this Christian life. And so last week, we looked at community, and we saw that Paul is exhorting those that are um, in, the, in the Philippian church to live their lives out in a context of community, not individuals that want to just to do their own, but in a context of a community that want to live out their lives for Christ. And then the second half of chapter 4, which is what we're looking at today, and the same idea of living out your life, standing firm thus in the Lord, is done in community, but it's also marked with a life that's generous and so I kind of hinted at that last week we're going to be talking about generosity next week I just hinted at it because I didn't want you to like sit out this Sunday because usually when you hear about oh I going to be talking about money and generosity I ain't going that week I'll just go the next week I hinted at it and I just left it out there and I fooled you to come back this week so um, I'm just kidding really but um, really I wanted to say a couple things before we jump into the sermon on generosity giving and money because sometimes Sometimes, as we hear sermons on generosity giving money, the thought is um, all this is going to be about is he wants my money or the church wants my money, and i don 't ever give enough money, how come i can 't give more money, and all these kinds of things, and we can we can launch over into that maybe you 're not that way, but at least Sometimes I am that way, and he's like, oh, it's the first week I'm here, and they're talking about money, really? So um, I want to say a couple things to maybe soften this idea, because I'm not just going to say money, 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 giving. I'm going to put it all in the context of what I like to call generosity, which is, I think, a more gospel-centered word. You know, God was generous to give us Christ when we didn't deserve it, or he didn't have to by any means. But still, even though we were on a path towards sin... Out of generosity, he gave us Christ to save us. And so because of that, that's our model. So in response to God being generous in Christ, we want to be generous people with our resources. And so resources meaning um, time. And, and I know some of you college students, I ain't got any resources like money. I can give my time. And I know, so I want to say generous with money. Now I'm going I'm to address college students later. Those of you who might feel like you're broke um, to try to help you see that maybe you're not. But let me just disarm a couple things when it comes to, the way w- some of us might respond when we say we're going to talk about money you're like oh money sermon great um, let me let me say a couple things. number one is this um, God wants this isn't on the, this isn't my, my my points this is just introductory points um, num- first thing is uh, this sermon isn 't something you should just kind of run away when we talk about money because number one, God wants your heart, not really your money, God wants your heart, not really your money second corinthians nine seven says each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's not God loves givers. God's just excited about givers. Money, money, fine, I'll give it. That's not what he wants. God loves a cheerful giver. So the first reason that we shouldn't be freaking out about money about sermon is because God wants your heart more than he wants your money. And I, and I think we can all agree <laughs> that if I give my heart over to Christ and I say, here's my heart, Lord then whenever I have to give or whenever I get to give more accurately, I want to. It's like a heart response that wants to. It's not begrudging like, oh, I really want my money for, you know, whatever. The second thing is um, not just that God wants your heart, wants your money. The second thing is all the money you have isn't yours anyway. It was given to you by God in the first place. It's not like you can say, I've got my money. No, no, you don't. Actually, God gave you every single, in me, every single bit of money that we have anyway. Everything, everything has come from his hand. Um, We don't live in a world where God didn't own everything and give it out to us. God gave you every single thing that you have. So when we're talking about money, you're like, oh, this is just about my money. Um, Remember that it's actually not yours, that God gave it to you anyway. So the first thing is God wants your heart, not your money. The second thing is it's it's not really yours anyway. And I I think that's true, not just for Christians, but people that don't know Christ either. The third thing is this, and this might be... um, this might be helpful, is, oh, God just wants some money. Here's the, here's the last one. God doesn't need your money. Like, he's God. He doesn't need any money. Let, let me read Acts 17, 25. It says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Here it is, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and Everything. So God doesn't need anything to be self-sufficient. Um, and so it's not like God's like on waiting edge, like, oh, are you going to give me your money? I need it because I really got these bills I need to pay. I really hope they give me some money. God doesn't need anything from us. And so that's why I say it's, God really wants your heart more than anything. He's, he's more in tune with trying to get your heart to be self um, wanting to live out and affectionate for Jesus. And one of the ways that that's manifested, one of the ways that that's evidenced, is by the way we give our money in a generous fashion towards the things of the Lord. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Let me read um, a quote from John Piper from a book called Don't Waste Your Life on the... The uh, importance of making sure that we as Christians are thinking about how um, our possessions are not for ourselves, but they're for a higher purpose. This is what he says. The issue is pervasive because it is crucial for the witness of the church, talking about money. He says, if we want to make people glad in God, our lives must look as if God, not possessions, is our joy. Our lives must look as if we use our possessions to make people glad in God, especially the most needy. So the reason why we've been giving possessions is not to just try to make ourselves happy, which I'm not saying it's wrong, to take some of the gifts from God and enjoy those and be happy. Like when I give things to my kids, I don't want them to say, thanks God, thanks dad. Well, that was weird. Thanks dad, but I'm not going to be happy as I play with this toy. I enjoy as I give them things, seeing them happy. So God gives you things because he enjoys seeing his children happy. But also, I want my children to learn to say, um, just as I want to learn, God's given me possessions not to just make myself happy, but to make others happy in Christ. And so um, as we're going into this, I just don't want us to make the mistake that thinks that this is just a sermon about money. Um, but instead, I've said this over and over many, many weeks. Um, perhaps you've been here. The goal of preaching is not for you to alternate your beha- <coughs> behavior for some, in some way so that you can just go live out a more dutiful, moralistic life. Moral behavior switched. That's not what I'm after after at all. That might happen. But what I'm after as I preach is that you would exercise or put your trust and believe in Jesus. That you would pursue after Christ. So what I'm after is a deep abiding faith and trust in Jesus. And from that I think that we'll all want to live lives that glorify him even in our giving. So I'm preaching for faith. That's all I'm after. Not not at all preaching for your money. Because God doesn't need it. He wants your heart. And so, <clears throat> as we're going into this text, just a bit of a reminder, of maybe if, you, if this is your first time here, um, Paul is finishing out this and really wrote the whole letter from jail. So in the context, he's, he's definitely in lack at this point. He's, a, he's very much in poverty. He's in a hole in the ground about 20 feet down. Um, and so he doesn't have very much going on. And he's writing this letter to them as, because the Philippians heard about Paul being in jail and decided, we want to bless Paul with a gift. It was probably money, but it was something. We want to bless Paul with the gift, and they sent this gift by, with Epaphroditus over to Paul, and they gave it to him. And while Epaphroditus was there, we know he got sick, but eventually Paul wrote this letter, thanking them for the gift that they sent, and, and gave the letter to this letter we're leading Philippians to Epaphroditus, who took it back to the Philippians, and they're reading this, and Paul's basically, over the course of this letter, filling it with doctrine, talking about the gospel, but also thanking them for the gift that they sent. And so, um, you'll see here, as we're looking at this last section, that Paul's primarily going to be talking about the gift, and namely, the generosity that kind of overflowed from the Philippians, um, and this generosity that overflowed from the Philippians, he's talking about in these verses, and so that's what we're going to talk about, is generosity. Now, the title of the sermon is six treasures of being generous. And so I, I think you see what I'm doing there, right? This is really six truths of being generous, but I, I, I'm being punny, so I throw a little word treasure in there and saying it's truth. And so I just thought that was for free. Um, so basically, what, what's going on here is if we start pursuing generosity in our life, when we start pursuing wanting to be the kind of believers that are generous, then certain things start happening in our heart, certain things start happening in our life, and the things that we're going to see today today, are these six things that happen in our life, the six truths or the six outcomes in our lives if we're generous, the six treasures. And I think if these things happen, they are treasures that they happen. So six treasures of being generous today. So let's go ahead and look at verse 10, and we'll go ahead and, and start. Here we see in verse one, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Again, rejoice is just all over. Christ our joy, the whole book is about joy. I rejo- the whole letter, Philippians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul's not saying, so I got some money from y'all a long time ago, and I'm finally happy to see, at last, I think even the NIV translates it at last, like, finally, brothers, you got it back in gear and you started giving me some more money. Paul's not saying that, um, I'm just finally glad that y'all finally got your act together so that you can start sending me some more more money. Instead, he's saying, I'm just so overjoyed that you have chosen to bless me with this gift. I I am very happy that the Lord has made it possible now for you to be able to do that for me. Now, one can hear this and say, and Paul's saying, so don't forget to keep the money given, you know here's the 800 number on the screen, keep calling it and give me your credit card number so I can have some more. That's, Paul's not trying to ask for a second, third, and fourth, and fifth gift. I can just show that from one verse. Look at verse 18. If, you, if you've got enough, then you wouldn't say, I'm fully supplied. I've got everything I need. Like, that's what he says in verse 18. So he's, he's not saying, so keep the money coming, because he tells them in 18, um, I have received full payment more. I am well supplied. So he's, not, he's obviously just thanking them for the gift not saying, I need more, because he's saying, I'm well supplied. I got everything I need. Don't need any more. But he's, in verse 10 here, he is, he's saying, I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord, that now at length you have revived your concern for me, that you were indeed concerned for me, but, but you had no opportunity. Now, let's talk about the Philippians for a second. They're always over here on this side of the stage. Um, the Philippians did not have a whole lot of money. They were, they were really poor. They weren't an a wealthy kind of city. These people, particularly these people, if you look at Acts chapter 16, where Paul planted the church, these were pretty low-income people when he planted it. And we're seeing here that they actually were giving to him at one point, because he says, you revived your, your concern for me. So they were giving to him at one point. Something happened where they couldn't give. They had to take care of some things. And now they're able to give to him again. And this at least second, maybe, maybe more, they're giving him more money as he's in jail. They're poor, they already gave to him once, and now, even out of being poor, they've taken care of some things, and they still remain in a situation where they're, they're a poor church. But even though they're still poor, they want to give some more. Now, that kind of generous heart is something that we should take note of. So here's the first thing that I want you to see. If you are the kind of person that is seeking to be a generous person, a treasure, or something that happens to us when we become generous people is you'll develop a concern or passion for other people's struggles, even at your own expense. Now, this is just the way I'm wired, and maybe you're not wired this way, but I can remember earlier in life, 2025. generally, people's concerns and people's struggles, um, especially 2021, were pretty much unnoticed by me. I just, for some reason, kind of lived in my own little tunnel vision world, and I never, ever noticed them. And I got married to Christy, who is not that way at all, And because of her, she's opened my eyes to things. And I've become, um, by God's grace, able to meet some of these needs like Paul has, try to do some things for people. And when that's happened in my life, I start developing even a deeper concern or passion for more people. And I'm willing to do it at my own expense. It it actually brings me joy to do it. And so one of the things that we should note from here is you're, you're saying, but I just don't know. I just don't know if this is the kind of thing I can do. Giving makes me nervous. I only have a certain amount in my budget and I don't know that I can do that. I want to, but I feel like watching people's concerns, doing that is going to be something I'm gonna struggle with. It's not gonna happen and I don't really notice it. I think that one of the treasures is once you start doing it, once you start noticing and even out of, if it's causing you some more expense than what you want to, you start giving it, you're gonna start even noticing more and one of the benefits or the treasures of this is that you'll see more and when you see more, you're gonna give more. You're going to help people even more. This is what's going on with the Philippians. Remember, (laughs) here they are again. They don't have any money. They're poor and they're hearing Paul needs things and they're wanting to send money to him anyway. So I don't think any of us can use the excuse, well, you know, in a year or two years or finally whenever I get all my finances in order, I'm going to be able to do it. Because of the gospel, even in our lack, we can trust God and we can start giving generously to meet people's needs. Um, So let's go ahead and uh, keep going. I want to show you some more things in 11 through 13 here. Uh, 13 is, you know, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Look at 11. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Now remember, Paul, we know that he had a need, but he's not trying to make them feel like, if you don't help me, you know, it's all downhill for me. I could die next week. He's not saying, not that I'm trying to speak of being in need, because I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Now, he's going to throw out two situations here where contentment is something that he's learned. The two situations are, and more than likely, everybody in this room is going to identify with one of them. One situation is extremely poor with nothing, which is where Paul is right now. The other is extremely wealthy with all needs met. And he's going to throw out both of those situations and he's going to say, in either place, I have learned how to be content. But there's a secret to that contentment. And he's going to tell us here in just a second. Um, he not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be poor. And I know how to abound. I know how to be rich. And I know how to do both of those things to the glory of God. And he says and in any I know how to be abound. And in every, any and every circumstance here it is. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I learned the secret to whenever I'm in a situation if I'm poor or I'm rich. There's a secret that's supposed to happen in that. And I know what it is. I know how to do it. And then he says, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So don't take 13 and rip it out and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm Superman and I can can do whatever I want. I can fly. I can, you know, I mean, it's not what we're talking about here. It's not God's calling you to be in the NFL because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's not what we're saying. We're saying in the context that Paul is using is, In the context of learning how to be content in either situation, whatever it is, I know how to go into it because there's a secret involved. And the secret is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, the secret is Jesus. He's the one who strengthens me. So whether I'm poor, I still pursue Christ. Whether I'm rich, I still pursue Christ. And in any situation, whatever it is, I'm going to press into Christ. I'm not going to find my identity in being rich. I'm not going to find my identity in being poor. Instead, I'm going to find my identity in being in Christ. And when I find my identity in Christ, then the rest of it helps me understand. Let me... Let me Help us understand something that I'm going to show you what my second point is. The second point's not ready yet. Let me talk about the contentment as Paul's tracing out for us in poverty and the contentment in being rich. Um, contentment and abundance, I think, should look like this. If God has ever granted you or will grant you um, in your lifetime to be someone who is on the, the upper side of wealth, you, for some reason the Lord chooses to bless you, uh, the point of being content is in being rich does not mean, oh, I finally arrived. Thank God for this money. I got all kinds of stuff. So what I can do now is just buy whatever I want. Jet skis, gold chains, bass boats, all for me. I can buy whatever I want. That's how I'm going to finally be content. That's not what he's saying. Instead, the idea of being content in abundance is saying, I need to have my needs met. There's certain expenses that I need, but after those things are met, the reason why has God has given me this abundance is instead now to even be more generous to people. He's blessed me with material wealth to be able to meet my needs. And after those things, I have an abundance of wealth to be able to look around, look at point number one, look at the needs and having the heart to want to meet those needs and start meeting those needs for the purpose of glorifying Christ. Not just, you know, a benevolent person that just throws out stuff. Why are you doing that? Ah, because, you know. I'm just happy to do it. It makes me feel good. I'm doing it because of Jesus. Because Christ has been generous to me in the gospel, I want to be generous. So that's the first idea of contentment and abundance. Paul's saying, I know that, and it's all centered on Christ. Also in contentment and lack, I want to talk about that. I, I think of contentment and lack of kind of being like fasting. The point of fasting is when you feel hunger pains, those hunger pains, I mean, if you've ever fasted, they they come pretty fast and they happen for a long time. And it's like continual, it never stops. And so you continually have these hunger pains and you don't feel that and say, oh, I'm just so hungry cheeseburgers hot dogs pizza that's all I'm fixated on instead whenever you feel these things I mean you think about that but then you say I don't want to think about food instead I want these hunger pains to be for a higher purpose thank you Lord for giving me the constant reminder of a pain in my stomach which makes me think yes I want food but instead more than food I want to hunger for Jesus more therefore I'm Thankful for hunger pains because it's a constant 24-hour reminder to continually focus on Jesus. Every time I feel another hunger pain, it's just, yes, thank you, Lord. I want Jesus more than I even I want food right now. And I think contentment and lack is the same thing. Whenever we don't have our needs met, whenever we're struggling to pay bills, whenever we are wondering how we're going to, you know, we're ever going to stop eating ramen noodles those things whenever they happen you're saying yes there is a part of me that wants food or money or life to be easier financially but instead as those things come I don't just take those things and say oh I wish things were easier instead I want to take those things and let that be a reminder of me that lets me say yes those things would be nice but instead more so I want Christ I want to point towards Christ. I want my entire life to be thoroughly satisfied only in Christ. Now we're starting to understand what Paul's saying about being content in lack and content in poverty. I mean, in in abundance. And both of those things are centered in on Christ. Now, say all that to say, the second thing, second treasure is if God grants either one of those, um, you'll learn to give to others. You'll learn to give more to others. This is what an outcome is. Because... If you're poor, you know what it's like to be poor, and if the Lord grants that you come out of that, you know what that's like. And whenever that happens, you therefore have thought, "I've been there," and that is a that is a tough place. It's ner- it's nerve wracking. Therefore, I want to give more away to help those people. And if you're in abundance, poverty, then contentment and abundance means God's not giving me this just so that I can go to Disney World every week and do a whole bunch of fun stuff all the time. He wants me to be content he wants me to have good gifts because the lord loves me but he wants me to take this other amount of money to use it and bless more he wants me to give more to others that's what he wants he wants me to give more to others and so one of the treasures of um generosity is that you are now blessed with the opportunity to give more away to other people and you learn contentment in that now um D.A. Carson, when he's talking about the secret to contentment, he says the secret to contentment is not normally learned in posh circumstances. That just means really rich, fancy circumstances or just in deprived circumstances. But the secret to contentment is usually learned in exposure to both. The fact that Paul is content in both circumstances is because he is, his contentment is utterly independent of circumstances. His contentment is not in richness or poverty, but instead his contentment is only in Christ. His contentment is focused on all that he enjoys in Jesus Christ. And so whatever come, whatever comes, he's fine. All right, what I want to do here is this. Because as we talked about contentment and lack and contentment and abundance... More than likely, all of us have said, oh, I completely identify with the poverty people. I remember, you know, eating the wrong, I, I, I mean, I used to go over to the gas station in college across the street and buy the pink hot dogs that were in the little rotator thing that I don't even know what's in those things, but I was starving and they were a dollar, you know, like two for a dollar. I'm eating that because it's two for a dollar. I'm probably going to pay for it later. I won't be able to breathe when I'm 40, but I'm still going to, you know, eat these pink hot dogs because I'm starving. We all have felt that. And so whenever we talk about contentment and poverty and contentment and lack, more than likely every single one of us identifies with the lack and very few of us think that we identify with the contentment and and abundance but let me just say this um every single one of you and i know this to be fact lives in the year 2012 (laughs) in america in the most affluent country one of the most at least affluent countries in the entire world every single one of us are more than likely monetarily in the top one percent of people in the world now i know you're broke i i know you feel like you don't have anything, but most people operate on far less money per day than we do. Far less. So, let's just for a minute think about this way. I want you to do me a favor, if you will. Let's just all think about ourselves, not just in the context of poverty, but actually in the context of wealth. Because more than likely, on a big scale, you know, because we live in the 21st century, not the first century, and we have heating and air and washing machines, and we're not you know, actually in the woods shooting animals for our food, but can go to the grocery store. We, we live in, in, in an affluent society and every single one of us are really affluent. If Every one of y'all are going to eat today. More than likely three times. Maybe like you like me, six times. You know what I mean? But anyway, we're all going to eat today. So I want to read a text. I want you to just do me a favor. As I'm reading this, I don't want you to say, oh, he's talking to rich people. I hope they're listening. Y'all better listen up because this is a scary verse. I want us all just to say, all right, as this verse is being read, I am going to listen to it as if I am one of the ones who is rich. I am one of the ones who has abundance. Because we are. Listen to this warning Paul gives in 1 Timothy 6 to those who are in abundance. Because I think we all are. I know it's varying scales of wealth for us. But I think we're all wealthy. This is what he says. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age. Again, just do me a favor and let's pretend that's us. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Does this characterize the way you live your life with money? Does this verse describe the way that you use your money? Are you rich to do good works, Are you generous and ready to share? I think that's what we're all supposed to be. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which is truly life. Storing up treasures in heaven. Let me give you um, one little verse from Luke 9. No servant is greater than his master. Our master, our savior is Jesus. And this is what, what Jesus said once about himself. Whenever he was walking through, doing ministry, somebody came up to him and said, I'll follow you. And this is, this is one of the answers he gave to that guy who had kind of an issue of money. He said, foxes have holds and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That's what's true of Jesus, our master. No, I'm not saying, so sell your bed and sleep outside. I'm not saying that. <laughs> that would be, in, be crazy. I'm saying instead... We're all supposed to live at a certain level where we get by. And then after that, let's just all strive to be cognizant of the fact that we really are probably wealthy and that we want to be rich in doing good works, be generous and ready to share. I think that's the, the idea of what we're trying to hear is that we will give more. We will give more, as this point number two says, when we have learned the treasure of being generous. We will give more. All right. Let's move on to the third one, and it's going to stay right there in 13. I want us to look at 13. I want to do one more little bit of work in 13. It says, I can do all things. Now, the all things is in context. Um, D.A. Carson says, Paul's everything is constrained by context. Even Calvin says that we need to make sure that we understand the context. When he says all things, he means merely those things which belong to his calling. And so he just got through talking about being poor and rich. And so the better way I think for us to understand I can do all things through him who strengthens me because he's putting in the context of doing ministry, whether he's got money or not, I can still do ministry and I'm, my identity's in Jesus. I think the best way we can say is I can do all things that are really actually possible and happening to me in my life that God has called me to do in Christ who gives me strength. Does that make sense? Like God's calling you to do things, real things. And you think, those things are tough. I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I, I, I think I can do these things, but I know God's kind of calling me to all this, but I know I can only do half of that. I mean, the other half, just too hard. Not gonna happen in my life. This pro- promised verse is saying, you can do everything in Christ by his strength that he's called you to do. Everything. Now, you're not gonna do more than that, but all the things that God is calling you to do that bring him glory, that he wants you to do in this life, you can do all of those things, not just some. And I think that's a good good piece of news and that's one of the treasures of generosity is the third one here um you can fulfill your god-given ministries in christ everything that he's calling you to do everything that he's calling you to do is absolutely possible in christ now i'm not saying that the other let's not confuse what he's calling you to do versus what you want to do but all the things that he's calling you to do and those things could be massively big and crazy every single one of those things are possible to do in christ i think that is a great joy to hear a very encouraging tre- uh, treasure that we can that we can um, take in and hear and say if god 's calling me to be in a filthy prison then i 'm going to be content and i 'm going to rely on christ and i 'm going to do it if god 's calling me to preach with a whole lot of excitement and and Um, passion for the gospel, then I'm going to be content and I'm going to rely on Christ. If God's called me to be more in poverty and not have many resources, but still have a generous heart, I'm going to be content, I'm going to rely on Christ, and I'm going to do it. Whatever it is that God's calling me to do, if he's calling me to move over to Tanzania or move over to China, I'm going to do it, I'm going to live there, and I'm going to be content there, and I'm going to rely on Christ. Every single thing that he's calling you to do, you absolutely can do all of it in Christ. The things that he's calling you to do. So, um, let's move on to 14. That was the third one. The fourth one is going to be in 14 through 16. I want to show you this. Um, this one's kind of a, an interesting idea. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So, Paul's going back to the gift that they gave, and he's saying it was very kind of you to share in my trouble. Now remember, we know that this is at least the second time that they've given to him. And it says, And you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, and what that means is, in the beginning of the time that you became understanding or acquainted with the gospel, so Paul's pointing back to Acts chapter 16, the first time he went to Philippi, he goes, you Philippians know that that day I came and you started understanding the gospel, whenever I left Macedonia, whenever I left that region of Macedonia, the city of Philippi, and went somewhere else, you, as soon as you began to understand the gospel, it says, um, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So here's the idea. Paul goes and he plants a church in Philippi. After he does it, he gets it established, and he goes over to the next city, to Thessalonica. And as he's over there, I mean, weeks later, just weeks later, this particularly new, fledgling, poor church in Philippi says, that guy brought us the gospel, we already want to give him a gift. So we're going to send a gift, and we're going to give it to him. So he's over in Thessalonica, doing the exact same thing he just did in Philippi, planting another church, and here comes a gift from the Philippians, brand new Christians, fledgling, poor. And Paul gets that gift, and he's saying, as a matter of fact, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's just amazed that they were so quick to respond with generosity. I mean, just an amazing testimony of, of the way that they give. Remember, this isn't rich church. You know, this isn't a church in Los Angeles with billions rolling out, like the Palace that, of Glass or whatever it's called. This is a poor, poor, I don't know what it's called, poor, poor, they, actually they're break, broke now, but, so disregard the whole thing. They're, they're, uh, they're poor, poor, poor church, and out of that poverty they give. Out of that poverty they give. And then look at what it says. Even in Thessalonica, which is the next city that it is in, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Once and again. And you can even see here in verse 18, he goes, I have received full payment and more. So now that he's in jail, the next gift that they gave, it wasn't just like a little bit. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, which is a fragrant offering. Always pointing it back that that gift is not just out of duty. Instead, it's a worship response to Jesus, a fragrant offering, sacrificial, acceptable, and pleasing to God. And so what we see here, again, we're over in Philippi now, this particular place here, in poverty, they immediately hear the gospel they want to give to Paul. It says he gave to them quickly, once and again, and even an abundance as he's in jail. One of the things I think we can draw from that is this. Um, the fourth treasure of being generous is you seek to give sacrificially, not just, from, or, uh, this is the second way, it's actually stayed up there. A pattern of generous, it should be sacrificial giving starts marking your life. You will begin to see a pattern of generous giving or sacrificial giving in your life. So let me, let me give an illustration. This is, this is what I mean when I say this. Especially in America, like we get new clothes all the time, right? You get new jeans, you get new shirts. We all went Black Friday shopping and got the the jeans on sale. So we go into our closet and we're looking at our stuff and we're like, "Oh, I used to wear pants with pleats." And you know, you're looking at these different shirts and stuff, and like, I definitely don't want these things anymore. Those things were out of style eight years ago. Pants with pleats. So anyway, forget I said that. So you finally got this particular set of wardrobe. and like, this is in style. This is what I'm wearing. Like, if you're me, it's just jeans and plaids. Like, that's all you got. But here's my thing. But all these clothes right here, dress pants, don't need those anymore. Here's all these things I don't want. And so generally, it's easy for us to take the things that we don't want anymore and give those things away. And I'm just saying, um, it's amazing how easy it is to give the things we don't want away anymore. Right? We don't want those things anymore. I can give those things away. But that's not what I'm talking about here. We're not, we're not saying, so grab all the stuff you don't want anymore, put them in trash bags, and throw them at someone's front door, and feel good about being generous. Um, instead, they're giving out of sacrifice. They're saying, we, we have these things here we could give, and we'd be fine. Maybe we don't even want. But instead, we're not just going to give these things. We're going to edge that up a little bit, and that's how much we're going to give. Because that little that little piece of easy, and that little piece of hard, that little piece right there, that's going to cause me to have to trust God. Like, I know that I can't make it. it. Logically on paper, it doesn't seem that I can make it, but God's calling me towards that. So I'm going to give the sacrificial part of this, and in that little piece right there where I'm nervous about, I'm just going to say, God, I trust you. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just I want to trust you more. As Philippians 13 says, I want to press into Christ and find my identity in you and not, not money or things. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to trust you here. And if you've ever had one of these kind of seasons where you've just given and it's out of trust, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm going to do this and I'm going to give it away. I'm going to see you meet my needs later, Lord. I think we all want to live in that level of faith. Right? We all want to live in that level of trust with Jesus. We don't want to just coast and everything's easy and we're never nervous about how God's going to supply our needs. But We want to live in that level of faith so that when he does come through, we're like, you did it again, God. What was I thinking? I want to even do more now. Like, that's the way we all want to live, right? And this is what he's calling us towards. He wants us to live in a life where we are constantly living in an area of sacrifice. We're not just throwing away our excess, but we're actually making sacrifices. Again, the goal of every sermon is faith, not dutiful changing of moral behavior. I'm preaching for faith. I want you to shoot for the place that's going to cause you to trust Jesus more in your life. Find your identity in Christ more. Say, unless unless you do this, God, it's not going to happen. I'm putting my faith in you. And so the fourth treasure is that we will seek to be generous, sacrificial givers, and it'll begin to mark our life that we will not just give from excess, but we will give from sacrifice. Um, Let me read for you a couple couple quotes here. First, from Matthew 16. I'm sorry, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what Christ tells us. Um, Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish pastor, says this. He lived um, in 1800s. He lived to be 29. And in the book, Don't Waste Your Life, Piper quotes Robert Murray McShane. And this is what he says. Robert Murray McShane is writing to people who are calling themselves Christians, who have money. And this is... He lays out for them a caution where they, ha- if they have lives that are just kind of um, shown that I'm just going to give out of my access, but I'm certainly not going to give sacrificially. I'm not going to let a mark of my new life in Christ be that I want to be generous. This is a, a, a caution that McShane says to them. And this is just if you find yourself in that pattern, if you find yourself that the dominant portion of your life is only marked by hoarding or holding on to things, this is what he says. I am concerned for the poor, but more for you who have money. I know know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not begrudging at all, requires a new heart. So if you're in Christ... One of the things that should be true of you is that you want to give largely, liberally, and not begrudging. And then he says, An old heart would rather part with this lifeblood than with this money. And then he looks right at him and he charges him with a, the, a caution. He says, Oh, my friends, enjoy your money then. Those who are going to. Live lives that that only remain in the old heart lifestyle. Enjoy your money then. Make the most money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away and enjoy it quickly right now while you're on earth, I tell you, because one day you will be beggars throughout eternity. Live rich now, be beggars later. Don't live rich now, but instead with generous hearts, be rich in Christ later. It's a pretty big caution for us, and I'm not saying that if you're not generous, You're unregenerate. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but it certainly is something to think about. One of the characteristics of the new heart is that they want to, they desire to give largely, liberally, and certainly not begrudging. Now, we all might have our moments, but the the large picture of our lives as Christians are, largely, liberally, and, and the reason why is because we're understanding the gospel. Jesus was given to us by the Father with such grace and such enormous generosity, the more we understand that, that's who we become. And so it's all grounded in the gospel. Listen to this. This is Calvin. This is 500 years ago. This is what he said. And and tell me if it doesn't sound like right now. He says, we should sacrifice our abundance of money on things like the poor and those who do the ministry of God, but instead we squander it and waste it on things like luxury, food, um, expensive and overpriced clothing, and mansions. That's what Calvin said 500 years ago. That's pretty amazing. And I think indicting that um, he has his finger even on the, on the 21st century, I think. Now, um, let's look at verse 17 because I want to show you another couple um, awesome treasures Next one's in 17. Paul is saying, not that I seek the gift. Now, he's talking about this gift that he has, and he's saying, really, thanks for the gift. It's going to help, but that's not the primary thing that I'm driving for is the gift. There's something deeper about it. And he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or if you have a footnote, it says, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. So what he's saying is this. Um, the fact that you've given me a gift is good, and I appreciate that, but there's something actually bigger at play here. The money exchange is good, but the reason why you're giving me money is grounded down deep in your heart, and if your heart is for Christ, that means now you're starting to bear fruit for Christ, or the way he says, there's fruit accruing to your account, which means if you're bearing fruit for God, you're moving along in Christ's likeness. The there's evidence the fact that you've actually become to know Christ, that you have a new heart, and now you're becoming more and more like Christ. And so one of the great um, treasures of generosity that happens in our life is this fruit, which is basically Paul saying, um, you will start seeing tangible evidence of your sanctification. That's point five. One of the great things about having a generous heart is the more generous you are, when that happens to you, you're starting to see fruit accruing to your account or sanctification happening in your life. And if you're like me, assurance of the fact that you are in Christ is always a good thing. I mean, don't we struggle with that all the time? Am I really in Christ? How can I do that? How can I do that? How can I not do that? How can I not do that? Am I in Christ? And if we see that we're being generous, then Paul's saying fruit accrues to our account. Therefore, we are being sanctified and we're wanting to do things. It's an evidence, tangible evidence that sanctification is happening in your life, which is only encouraging in the life of a Christian. So one of the next things is is that we get to see this happen in our life, which is, I think, just an amazing thing. All right, here's the last one, and then we'll, we'll conclude. It says in verse 19, and my God, now remember, he's talking to people in Philippi that are broke. I'm talking broke. They don't have a whole lot of money, and they lived 2,000 years ago, so they don't have you know, electricity and things like that. He says, my God, you gave a gift out of poverty, which probably lowered even the amount of money you have, Philippian church. And he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now let's put this in perspective. This church already didn't have a lot. Then they gave even more, which even lowered the amount of money they have. So how are they going to meet their needs? (laughs) You ask that question, like that's got to be a legitimate concern of theirs. Paul says, don't forget." God will meet every single need that you have. So there has to be something happening in their life. And I think this is one of the best ones is this. A treasure of being generous is that your realization of what we need versus what we want will be adjusted. What they need is going to be met. And maybe what they needed wasn't necessarily what they thought. But as they gave out of poverty and God's promising to continually meet their needs, they're thinking to themselves, you know what? What I need versus what I want is not the same. And so for all of us, as we give more and more to Jesus, what we need versus what we want becomes adjusted. Oh, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Maybe not. You just want it. But the Lord knows exactly what you need and will supply those particular things that you need. And the rest of it can be used for his glory. When we know that God will supply every single one of our needs in Christ Jesus... We're free then at that moment to be the kind of giver that glorifies God. We're free to, to give out our, our things and hold things loosely for him. We were free to give others um, the things that they have when they need them because we know that God is going to supply our needs as well. It's a promise right here. Now, why would we do that? Why would we want to do that? Because, verse 20, to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Because everything that we have to do when it comes to generosity is all rooted in the glory of God. God wants us to be generous people because of the glory of God and Christ Jesus and the gospel. So it's all about Christ and it's not about ourselves. Let me uh, let me conclude with these last set of verses and then I got one little verse I want to read and then we'll be done. This, this last set of verses I think is incredible. Usually when you read these last little verses in, in Paul's letters you kind of blow through them and say... I read all verses in Philippians, and I can move to the next one. What's next? Um, but let's not do that. I want you to see something that I think is just awesome. All right, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking about greeting saints, and he wants to do this. He goes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All, those, all the saints greet you. Now here it is. Especially those of Caesar's household. I think he's kind of doing that with a wink, wink, and nod, nod. I'll, I'll tell you why. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul was arrested for being a Christian and thrown in jail. And when he gets to this place, he's in jail, and Caesar's thinking to himself, this guy Paul... People are meeting Jesus. People are, he's a danger to society. I want to get him off the street. I don't want to talking about Jesus. I'm going to stick him in this hole in my household, and nobody's going to hear about Jesus here. That's what I'm saying. And so Paul gets this letter. I think it's so great. And he's writing to the Philippians, and he's saying, I know y'all are kind of nervous about me not getting to do ministry anymore, people meeting Jesus. Remember in Philippians 1? He's like, people are preaching the gospel here. I'm fine with it. I'm in jail. This is Paul's little way of saying, yeah, Caesar brought me here so no one gets saved. Hey." Every saint in the household of Caesar also sends you greetings. Meaning, Caesar brought me here so that no one would meet Christ. And guess what's happening now in his own house? I'm preaching the gospel. People are meeting Jesus. So in any context, I just ran this big number on Caesar. He don't even know. Like, he brought me here and people are getting saved. So I think that what we can hear from this is this. Any context whatsoever, whether you are poor or rich, whatever it is, you are brought there by God, and he wants you to proclaim the gospel in any situation. There's, I, I know we have times where we're feeling like, this I've got to get through this season first. I mean, it would be a tragedy if Paul says, well, I'm in jail. I've got to get through this season first. Then I can start telling people about Jesus. No, no. In any situation you're in, God wants you to use that particular situation right now, just like Paul where he's telling them, especially those in Caesar's household that have come to Christ because of me, got you, Caesar, any t- certain situation at all, this is an opportunity for you now to proclaim the gospel with fervency, with with passion. God has put you there right now to tell the gospel. So, um, let me read one little, uh, since we're in the context of generosity, let me read one little verse from Mark 12, and then we'll be done. Um, and we'll go into a time of worship, and the way we do it here at Remedy is we have a few songs after, Corporate worship through song is a tremendous gift by God. This is not just like the filler. Like we don't have songs just so we can feel like you've gone to church. And so we, we did sing and we had preaching and that was it. So I, went, I really went to church. <laughs> Corporate worship through song is a gift by God where we can come together as a body and proclaim out to him with one voice that he deserves all the glory and everything is for him. So we have a space for that. And so we want you to do after this sermon is... If the Holy Spirit's convicting you or the Holy Spirit's asking you to think about being more generous or perhaps you just want to pray and read, you've got a few songs here where you can do that and stand and sing out with us um, as we worship Jesus. And so I want to read this particular verse and then we'll conclude. Um, In the context, again, of generosity and asking yourself, where am I in terms of generosity? Listen to this. Jesus tells this story to his disciples as a woman walks in front of him. He says, And Jesus sat down opposite of the treasury and watched people putting their money in the offering box. Many rich people went in and put large sums, and one poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make one penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, in terms of percentage. And he says this, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the posture of the heart that God wants us to live our lives when it comes to our resources, our time, our finances, our entire life. He wants us to give all to Him all of your heart. Remember at the very beginning, God's after your heart, not your money. He wants you to not give a portion of your heart to him and the rest is for you and your spouse or your whatever. He wants all of your heart and out of that, that informs how you deal with your spouse. That informs how you handle your money. That informs how you discipline your children. That informs how you will finally have the courage and bravery to tell the people in your life that don't know Christ about him. She gave all she had to live on. This is our precedent. This is the appropriate gospel response. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't give half of himself to die for us. Half of his life and the other half stayed alive. He gave all of himself on the cross and died for our sins. And so in right response, we, we um, live out the exact same thing accordingly. And so just, I'm trusting the Spirit here. Do, do the hard work of searching your heart and asking if this is what the Lord would ask you to do. I, I'm not saying, therefore, in conclusion, you should have a big offering at Remedy. <laughs> that is the farthest thing from my mind. Therefore, in conclusion, you should have a heart that is generous, that maybe will support a missionary, that maybe wants to support a compassion child, that maybe wants to fill in the blank. That's my conclusion. Spend your money on Jesus. Use your finances for Jesus and his glory. So let me pray, and then we'll have a time of worship where however the Holy Spirit's leading you to to respond, I just trust. And maybe after a time of reading and praying, you'll, you'll stand and sing with us together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray for my own heart, and all of us here, that we would have the kind of hearts that want to be generous with the resources that you've given to us. That we would really think about and consider that you're after our heart, not our money. And everything we have is yours anyway. And so from that, Lord, um, there's certain maybe apprehensiveness or fear from thinking, I don't know that I I can do it, God. I don't know that I can... Make it. I, I feel like you're calling me towards a more generous lifestyle, but I'm nervous and I'm scared about how I can actually make it. I pray that the example of the Philippian church and the promise that says, and my, my Lord would supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus will be our security. I, my main goal here, Lord, and I know it's what you deeply desire from me and every one of us here, is faith. Trust in Jesus. We want to live in the sacrificial part of life. We're trusting you and we're believing in you. We want to see you move mightily in our life. And so I pray for all of us to want to live in that particular part where we're trusting you. And we don't know how it's going to happen unless you do it. Unless Jesus shows up and makes it happen, it's not going to. Help us all desire to live there, Lord. Because that's that place that we are most intimate with you. It's that place that we are most um, relying on you. It's that place that we are seeing your glory the most in worshiping you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.